ready, let's open up in, in prayer here. Let's go ahead when you're ready. We're live and ready to go. All right. In just a second. All right, this is going to be an awesome time. I mean, you guys have um, never been to a Passover Seder. I'm sure that most people, is anybody not? Okay, so everybody's been. Well, I've been to a few different ones, kind of compiled things for River of Life here the way that I wanted to do them. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We set apart Passover. This is such an awesome time to come into your presence. And what an awesome presence of the Lord here tonight. And, Lord, I pray for all of us as we go into this. Lord, do a deep work and let us never be the same. And, Lord, that you'll come speak through me and let everything be accomplished through this time that you will be done. Come speak through me and help us, Lord, to have good fertile soil of hearts and minds and be tuned into your spirit that there's an anointing upon this teaching, Lord. It will go forth and bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me give you guys a few scriptures to open up. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, Three times a year all the men must appear before the Lord, your God, at the place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, which is the one we're doing now, Passover, then the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, and then Tabernacles. No one appeared before the Lord empty-handed. But I want you to notice, though, that the Lord said to come appear before the Lord. So what is referenced here is this, that God is saying, I will meet with my people. This is a time that God will meet with us in an awesome way. And that's why during the worship, I just felt such a deep presence of the Lord every time we have these, these feast times. Because the Lord said, I will come meet with my people. All right, then the second thing, and you're going to see this throughout the Seder meal, is uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. I speak to you as wise, wise men. You judge what I say. Now listen to this. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in his body? Since there is one bread, we are many, um, are one body. We all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not, are not those who eat of the sacrifice of sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing that's sacrificed to idols is anything or then idols anything? No. But I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we try to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? But look at this, it says, is not this the cup of blessing? See, there's something I believe with all my heart. As you know, we come together and we take communion like we do, I believe that as we come together as a corporate body, and you have that bread and you have that fruit of the vine, and you take that, you chew that, swallow that, you drink that, I really believe that you're doing something that is bringing a blessing upon yourself. Okay? I really do. It's the cup of blessing. And so tonight, this is what um, communion table comes out of. And so these cups that we're going to partake of tonight is the cup of blessing. And I really believe this, and you'll see this through the meal, that when we do this, you're bringing blessings on yourself. You're doing something that is really powerful in the spirit realm. And then here's the last scripture. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as, in fact, um, you are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, 
nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, who's a, who's a Gentile church, and he was saying that to them, you keep the feast. And this is a reference to Passover, and I believe the communion table too. But he's saying, you keep the feast. But he said, don't allow all this wickedness and this junk to be involved. You need to purge the yeast out. And if you remember the story, there was a man that was sexually immoral. And Paul was saying to remove him out of your midst. But see, he's referencing here how the yeast is to be purged out, how sin is to be purged out. And when we come together like this, it's a holy thing. Okay? So here's a few more things. This is a special time in the Passover when there's an open heaven. This is a special time of God's presence and intimacy. We're connecting with something that's very ancient but very powerful. So we talk about digging the wells of revival and going back and praying in places where God has moved in times past, like maybe a Susan Street or something. But man, let me tell you, there's something about redigging these wells of these feast days that's very powerful also. So let me read this about the Lord as he um, had the Passover meal. In Luke 22, verse 7, It came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And remember, their day starts that night, okay? And Jesus said to Peter and John, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want to prepare it? And he said, When you enter the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to his house, and he'll uh, say to the owners of the house, The teacher says, um, where is your guest room in which we may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. They prepared the Passover. So when the hour had come, he reclined at the table. And we'll do that tonight. There's a reclining to the left. And the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never... Um, again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God and I'll show you how it was left unfinished but how it's going to be fulfilled at the marriage supper and he said and when he had taken the cup and given thanks he said take this um, and share it among yourselves for I say to you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes and when he had taken some of the bread and given thanks he broke and gave it to them this is my body which is given to you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten and said, this cup, and that, it says after they had eaten. So that's how come we know it's the third cup, okay? And he said, um, he took the cup and he blessed it. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one that is betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it is determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves um, which one they thought might be the one that would betray him. All right, so let's go ahead and just open up. This is a prayer over this, what we're doing. We pray tonight, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, our true Passover lamb. We have assembled together um, on this holy convocation, this feast of the Lord, to reenact the story of your deliverance of your people Israel from Egyptian bondage, which paints a picture of how Christ has delivered us from Satan's kingdom. And we pray as we gather in family and fellowship and as we relive the words and the symbolism, the ancient desire for freedom, that we will experience a renewed spirit, inspiration, and understanding. 
Not only do we remember tonight the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, but we remember Jesus, our Passover lamb, who has delivered us from our sinful past and delivered us from Satan's kingdom. We also remember Jesus having um, Passover with his disciples right before his death. With this heart, we raise our cups tonight to magnify your holy name, that name above every name, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. We are so thankful for this holiday of Pesach, which is Passover, the festival of freedom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. All right, so the first thing is called the Bedikah Chametz. Let me break this thing open here. I didn't look at it, so they better not rip me off missing like a candle or something in here. No, I believe it's all here. Then again, no wait, there's a feather in here somewhere. There it is. See what else is in here? It was a surprise. No, that's just the... Okay. Bedika <laughs> Chametz. All right, so this is the removal of the yeast out of the homes. So this goes back to ancient times. How this became a custom, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, what is done is this. Well, this is before electricity. So you had the candle. You go through searching for yeast. And so the, the first of the year is Nisan 1. So you have two weeks till Passover to go through and purge the yeast out. And so this goes way back to ancient times. This is a custom. And so the father would light the candle and go through with the children. And, you know, I can just see one of the little kids with the spoon following dad, right? And the other one's got the feather. And he's with dad. He's going through. And they have to search and find wherever there might be some, some yeast in the house. And traditionally, the mom would, would clean the kitchen, but she, you know, she would crumble up some bread and leave little breadcrumbs somewhere. And so dad comes up and goes, aha, here's some yeast. And so one of them would come, and they would get the little feather, and they'd carefully brush it onto the spoon, and then they would take it and put it in a bag, okay? And so this is actually what this is for, too. So they would take and they put it all in the bag, and they go through the house and make sure all the yeast is out of the house. And once they did that, then they would take the bag and they would take it outside. And everybody was doing that in the community. So there was all these bags in the street. And they would go out there and set it on fire and they would burn the remaining leaven. And so their houses were totally purged of any leaven in the house whatsoever. Okay, And it's interesting because many people have seen the symbolism here. And just like this candle, this candle would be... The light of God's word, which is a lamp unto our feet. How would we even know what sin is if we didn't have the word of God to teach us? You know, because sin speaks, I mean, leaven speaks of the sin. So for us today, God's wanting to purge the sin out of our homes, okay? And so it's like the light of God's word, but also the leading of the Holy Spirit that you can see things that you couldn't see before. How many of you guys would say, since you've matured in Christ, that by the word of God, but also by the leading of the Spirit, as I matured in Christ, I saw things in my life and even in my home that I didn't notice it before, but now I realize it wasn't right. And as I confessed it, God purged that leaven out of my life, okay? And so the feather is like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to purge all that junk out. He's the one that convicts us. He's the one that gives us the power to be able to change. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit is always going to lead people to the cross. And that's where the wooden spoon comes in. This is like the cross. The Holy Spirit helps you to put all that sin onto Jesus, the cross. And then it goes from there, and it's buried, and it's dead. It's gone. Okay? So that's the Bedikat Chametz, which just means the removal of the yeast. 
help me, sweetie, put that back. And so that's one of the reasons why for River of Life, what I felt led to do before the Passover time in the spring and then before the fall feast, I've really felt the Lord lead me that we have a time of prayer and fasting as a church. And all of you are familiar with this, but I want to get it on the recording. That we'll pray and fast. This year we did 21 days. And we come together and everybody's fasting something. But we're really praying and we've got a list of things we're believing for. But it's a time to really confess anything, deal with anything, let God show you. And basically what we're doing is, is we're purging the yeast out of our lives. Okay? So the pattern in the Old Testament is what we have the reality now in Christ that really we're getting all that yeast out. So when we come to this Passover meal, we've dealt with things we need to deal with. Amen. All right. And so these times before the feast, uh, it's called the Slichot times of prayer, which means pardon us. And it has to do with repentance. And the Jewish community will also, they'll be giving, Zadok, it's giving unto the Lord and prayer and fasting. And I'll go through some of this, but a lot of times, well, back in the Old Testament times and even to today, um, people will also, there's like an immersion in water. And I'll talk about that more as we go. All right, so here's the four cups that we're going to partake of tonight. And this is where the four cups come from in Exodus 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. So number one, I will bring you out. That's the first cup. I will deliver you from Egyptian bondage. That's the second cup. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's the third cup. And then he said, then I will take you for my people. The fourth cup. And you'll see through this that there's, you know, we're going to be taken to partake of that fourth cup. All right. All right, so the first cup, the Kiddush cup, does everybody have grape juice? You're ready to go? This cup that we will partake of tonight, the Kiddush cup, is the cup of sanctification. And this comes where the Lord says, I will bring you out. Now listen, when we partake of this, I'm not one that does things just out of religious ritual, and it's I don't waste my time or waste your time. I believe there's a power in what we're doing, okay? And this first cup, the Lord said, I will take you into myself. I will bring you out, rather. I'll bring you out. And this is the sanctification where God sets us apart. And so I'm going to believe God as we partake of this. And I want you all to believe with me that this is going, as we take this, that we're bringing our lives and our families under the blood of Jesus. You guys remember one lamb per household? The concept of the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving. Even though your children aren't here, what you're doing right now affects your children. There's something going on in the spirit realm. So I want people to really release your faith with me tonight. So as we partake of this first cup, we're bringing us and our families, our our household, our bloodlines, everything under the blood of Jesus. The Lord said, I will bring you out. This is us being separated from the world. We're separated. We're God's people. And so, Lord, as we partake this tonight, we're going to bring everything under the blood right now. Some of you have grandchildren that are not here right now. This affects them, what you're doing. And, Lord, we hold the cup up, and just as you would have done as you led the Seder 2,000 years ago, Baruch Atah Adonai, Loheinu Melech Olam, Borei and we bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord of God, King of the Universe, who creates the fruit of the vine, 
And Lord, as we take this, we bring our lives and our families under the blood right now in Jesus' name. Take this with faith. We're applying the blood to our lives. All right, next is the hand washing. All right, the next thing, wow, man, we've, I feel God's presence here. Wow. We thank you, Lord, for your blood. The next thing is called netilat yadayim, yadayim. That's how it's pronounced, actually, sorry. It's the washing of the hands. Now, Karen's getting this ready. You can go ahead and start whenever. But she's going to come through, and she's going to wash her hands. If you want your hands washed tonight, just put your hands over the bowl. But in this time, Jesus' disciples and everybody would have already gone to the temple, and they would have brought their offering to the Lord. Uh, there was mikveh pools everywhere. They would have already immersed themselves in water. And at the Passover meal, they washed, the hands are always washed. Okay, And so the hands would have already been washed, and so when Jesus was kneeling down as a humble servant and was washing the disciples' feet, there was more going on there than what a lot of people realize. Yes, he was being a humble servant because he could have had somebody else do it. But Jesus is our great high priest. And for the high priest of Israel to go into the Holy of Holies, on the Day of Atonement, you can read this, he had to self-immerse in water, so there was a water baptism. But he also had to wash his hands and his feet. So the disciples and everybody in Israel that was there, that was going to the temple, they would have already self-immersed. They would have had a full body immersion. And at the beginning of the Seder meal, they would have washed their hands. And so what Jesus was doing was now, as a priest, he was washing their feet too, because he knew that in 50 days, they were going to be at Pentecost. And they were going to go into the Holy of Holies, and have a, a Holy of Holies encounter with the Holy Spirit filling them. And he was trying to prepare them to be consecrated in an awesome way. All right, yeah, come on. Thank you, Miss Karen. Washing of the hands. Okay. Is everybody good to go? Did y'all get little Judas hands? <laughs> I'm just reenacting this how things would have been at this meal. Okay, and there definitely would have been hand washing. Okay, then the carpus. This is the all right, the parsley. The dipping of the parsley in salt water. All right. The parsley, I want to show you guys, the parsley represents a couple different things, okay? The children of Israel were told to take hyssop and put blood on the doorposts of their homes. Would have been a lot bigger than this, all right? They would have been like a handful of grass. 
And they would have had the blood of the lamb and they would have taken that like a paintbrush and painted it on the doorpost of their home. But as we do this, I want you to remember that how the blood is applied. So the blood is applied by faith. Hyssop represents faith. So whenever you apply the blood of Jesus, you have to apply it by faith in our lives. But also, taking this and dipping this into the salt water represents the tears that were shed in Egypt by Israel. And it also represents the pain that was in our lives before Christ. How many of you guys can safely say that there was a lot of pain in your past before Jesus, okay? And there was a lot of tears that were shed. So tonight as we partake of this, I want you to remember, yes, God brought Israel out of that bondage. There was a lot of tears. He brought them out with a mighty outstretched arm. And we remember the tears of Egypt, but we also remember our sinful past and how Jesus has brought us out of that to him, okay? So let's go ahead and do this. Just dip that parsley in some salt water, and it's going to taste like tears when you eat it. Brianna didn't really dip hers good, so she's doing a round two. Here we go. A little extra parsley. <laughs> All right. <laughs> parsley, salt water. Baby Judah, yeah, he won't like the salt water. All right. Mm-hmm. Hold that. All right, guys, the next part, the um, yarchutz, is I believe how it's pronounced. This is the three matzah. All right. So this bag, I don't know if you can really see in it too well, but it has three compartments, and obviously they... People remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this middle one, it really speaks to us today of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so this middle one has always been taken out. I thought it was interesting that going back to ancient times, it would always be the middle one that was taken out, which represents Jesus. All right. And then it is broken. And the bigger piece is going to be placed in this afikoman bag here. Now, I want you to notice this. This bread's broken, and it's wrapped, and now it's going to be buried away and hidden. Go for it. You have to wait to find it, all right? (laughs) Oh, I don't remember. I think it's found, something like that, that which is found. (laughs) No. All right. All right. So the hiding of the afikoman. Okay. Now, Miss Ivy is supposed to have these questions ready. It says the Manishtana. And these are the four questions. has to do with why is this night different from any other? She's ready. 
because tonight we celebrate God bringing his people out of bondage into freedom. So she's got four questions she's going to ask me tonight. Go ahead. Just one at a time. All right, the question for the recording, why do we only eat unleavened bread at this time? First off, the bread was baked on the back of those that were fleeing Egypt as they left in haste. And also, it represents Christ's sinless body, buried in the tomb, which did not decay. I'm going to show you this piece of matzah here. Look at this. You guys see that it's striped and it's pierced. Okay, and obviously without leaven, Jesus' body was striped and pierced and without leaven. And he was placed in that tomb and his body was not going to see any decay. That's why the Bible says, I will not let my Holy One see decay. Because there was no sin in him for his body to decay. Alright, second question. Alright, the question is, why do we eat bitter herbs tonight? We remember Israel under Egyptian slavery and bondage. But we also remember our sinful past before Jesus and how bitter it was to be separated from God. Okay, third question. Okay, why do we dip herbs in salt water? The parsley reminds us of the blood that was put on the doorpost with hyssop, but it also speaks of the tears that were shed in Egypt and the tears of our sinful past. And uh, here in a moment we'll have the sweet haroset, which is these apples which is the, the sweetness that we find in Christ. Okay? All right, here in a little bit, we will recline to the left. <clears throat> we recline to the left because those that are slaves don't get to sit and eat at a table and recline. <clears throat> they always have to be standing up serving. And so... It is that we remember that we have found our freedom in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer Satan's property. We're no longer bonded in bondage like that. We're now free men and women in Christ, okay? And so that's why we recline to the left. Now, it was traditionally the youngest would sit at the right of the one doing the meal. And so Jesus was leading the Seder. John was the youngest. That's why when they reclined to the left, that's why John had his head on Jesus' bosom. And Peter was sitting right across, and Jesus had just said that he was going to be betrayed. So Peter's like, Psst, ask him who it is. You know, and John's like right here, so John's asking him who it is, you know. But anyway, that's why that, that was like that, because they were reclining to the left. All right, I need you can grab out of that fridge right there that lamb's shank bone. We should have already had that on here. It's in the top. Yeah, thank you very much. But we remember tonight, how in the world do we forget the lamb's shank bone on the table? But the Paschal lamb shank bone, it was the perfect Passover lamb. Yeah, it's in the very top. In the very top, the freezer part, yeah, in a baggie. Thank you. Yeah. All right, thank you very much. But we remember tonight the lamb that was slain, okay? We remember tonight the lamb that was slain, thank you very much. And how the blood was applied to the doorpost. But Jesus had to be our perfect substitute. And how many of you guys know that Jesus was without any sin? 
I mean, these lambs had to be really inspected real carefully that there was no sin, there was no defect, rather, in these lambs at all. And Jesus went through that scrutiny. I mean, they really looked, they accused him, they falsely accused him. But there was no defect in Jesus whatsoever. He was without spot or blemish. He was our perfect lamb. And when he went to Calvary, he was able to be our perfect substitute, okay? All right, so now we're going to do something a little fun. You guys, everybody has grape juice, right? All right, make sure that you have a white napkin. <clears throat> we're going to go through the ten plagues. Put a white napkin in front of you. You can feel free to turn it inside out. Get a white napkin. Now we're going to go through the ten plagues. <laughs> Alright, so while everybody's getting that ready, the ten plagues were, number one, the water to blood. Then there was the frogs, then there was the lice, then there was the flies, then there was the pestilence, the boils, the hell, the locusts, the darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn. But in Exodus 12, 12, the Lord speaks of executing his judgments on the gods of Egypt through these plagues. And so what we're going to do, I'm going I'm to name something, and you're going to dip your finger, and you're going to say the plague and, and let it drop on this. So by the end of this time, you're going to have around 12 drops of blood on this white napkin, okay? Everybody ready? Here, you can use this one. All right, so the first was the water turned to blood. So the judgment is this. Just wait, I'll show you. There was a, a, some demon god in Egypt named, I think it's Happy H-P-I. I don't know how to pronounce all these, okay? But again, the joke is he's not real happy because... God turned the water to blood. And he was supposed to be, happy was the God of death. And when the Nile turned to blood, it was a judgment against. See, God was showing Egypt that these gods are not really gods. He's the one true God. If they were really gods, then why are these plagues happening? Why can't your Egyptian gods fix the problem? Why can't your little sorcerers fix the problem? They can't because they're not real gods. Okay, And so... The first one is, y'all ready? Let it drop and it, you can say blood. The first one is water to blood. There we go. All right. The next one was Heket, H-E-Q-E-T. This was the frog goddess of fertility. It had to be an ugly goddess. Okay. Yeah, the frog goddess of fertility and life and the plague of frogs was against Heket, okay? So everybody, we're going to say frogs. Let there be a... There it is. The next one is Geb, the god of the earth. Earthquakes were believed to be the laughter of Geb. Okay, so whenever Moses, remember, he struck the ground and dust came up, and that dust turned into um, lice, right? Lice, and they went out. This was a judgment against Geb because um, it came from the earth. So these lice, y'all ready? Lice. <laughs> the next one was shoe. <laughs> I believe that's how you pronounce it. S-H-U. All right, I don't know. Shoe. The God that supposedly, listen to this one. The God that supposedly held the sky off the earth. <laughs> So I guess the picture here is like a big permanent bench press, right? You just, 
I'm holding the sky off the earth, guys, so y'all don't all die. All right, so Shu was holding the sky off the earth and was associated with the dry air, wind, and atmosphere. So the swarms of insects sent by God into the atmosphere was a judgment against this demon god. And this was the swarm of insects was flies. Okay, we ready? So God sent the flies. Yeah. All right, the next one is Apis, A-P-I-S. And was the bull proclaimed to be incarnate and symbolized the strength of the king. So the death of the livestock was God's judgment on this demon God, okay? So the next one is pestilence that God sent. Ready? Pestilence. All right, the next one is Heka. Yeah, you said that last year. What the heck? What the heck happened, right? <laughs> this was the god of medicine and magic. <laughs> and so someone, for example, like a shaman or a witch doctor would call upon this demon god to try to bring healing to people. But when boils broke out on everybody all throughout Egypt, all of a sudden Heka didn't have so much power anymore, right? And so this is boils. Already, boils. All right, the next one is nut, or newt. It's N-U-T, all right, N-U-T, <laughs> the Egyptian god of the firmament, who protected man from the heavens. So, God sent hailstones from the heavens to show that he is really the almighty God. All right, so those in Wiley, just suck it up. Here we go, ready? <laughs> Hail, there it is. <laughs> For the recording, there was a hell storm nearby in Wiley. That's why we're joking around. All right, so men, or mean, M-I-N, was the demon god of vegetation. So the Lord sent locusts to destroy the crops and judge men. All right, so this is the locust. Ready? Locusts. All right, the last three. Is Judah got his little... He's, He's got it going? All right. So Ra. Ra was the sun god. Now, you guys have probably actually heard of this one demon god in Egypt, right? Ra. It's the only one I've ever heard of out of this. All right. Ra was the sun god. And the Lord sent thick darkness on the land to judge this false god. Because it's like if Ra is so powerful and he's the sun god, why did Moses just make it pitch black and nobody can do a thing about it, you know? And so this is darkness. Y'all ready? Darkness. All right. Amun-Ra was seen as the creator of mankind. This is really blasphemous, okay? So the Lord sent the death of the firstborn to judge this false god and show who the real creator is. All right? So this one is death. Ready? Death. Now I want you guys to do this. I want you to look at your napkin here. I want you to picture for a second, as you look at this napkin, okay, I want you to picture for a second, if we were at Jesus' crucifixion, he's hanging on the cross, and there's blood that's dripping down from his feet and his hands, and it's dripping down on the ground. As you look at this napkin and you see the drops of red, I want you to picture at the foot of the cross how those drops of blood that were there and how Jesus paid for our deliverance. Isn't that awesome? So here's what we're going to do. This leads to Makut, which is the 
second cup, the cup of deliverance. Now, as we take this, again, I want you guys to release your faith with me because Jesus paid for our complete deliverance at Calvary. Okay, the Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's written, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. So Jesus hanging on that tree, he became a curse for us. And the blood that came down and fell on the ground, that blood that he shed totally defeats and destroys the devil. Amen. All of his works, everything was complete. Just like these ten judgments from God, it thoroughly wiped out Egypt's economy to the point to where the Egyptians were like, get out of here and we'll give you all of our goods as you go. And Jesus, the work he did at Calvary, thoroughly defeated Satan, completely. So as we take this, uh, this second cup, the cup of deliverance, does everybody have grape juice? Okay, because we have some more over here if you need some. Okay. I want everybody to use your faith with me that as we take this, we're believing for God, for us and our family and our descendants, that there's going to be a washing and a separation this year from anything of the devil. Just like the blood went on the doorpost, the death angel couldn't get in. The blood. Okay, so by faith, we're believing God for complete deliverance and his protection over this coming year, that the blood of Jesus is separating us. How many of you guys will believe that with me tonight? The blood of Jesus separating us from spiritual warfare, from satanic things, that people are going to be protected in this coming year. So, Lord, we hold up this second cup. Bless you, Lord of God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. We thank you, Lord, for your mighty deliverance, Lord. Jesus, you became a curse for us. When we drink this, we bring a blessing on ourselves. But, Lord, we're, we're coming under the blood to be separated from the enemy. In Jesus' name, just go ahead. All right, the Dayenu. All right. Dayenu means it would have been enough. So there's there's usually songs that are sung. They can go different ways. It's like, da, Dayenu, da, Dayenu, da, Dayenu, da, Dayenu. And they'll sing this song. And they're praising God. It would have been enough. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a line, and I want everybody afterward to say Dayenu, okay? And so... I'll point at you. I'll help you out, okay? But this is the Dayenu part. Had he brought us out of Egypt and not divided the Red Sea, Dayenu, it would have been enough, right? Had he divided the Red Sea but not permitted us to cross on dry ground, Dayenu. Had he permitted us to cross the sea on dry land but not sustained us 40 years in the desert, Dayenu. <laughs> Had he sustained us 40 years and not fed us manna, Dayenu. Had he fed us manna and not ordained the Sabbath, Dayenu. Had he ordained the Sabbath and not brought us up to Sinai, Dayenu. Had he brought us to Sinai and not given us the Torah, Dayenu. Had he given us the Torah and not led us into the promised land, Dayenu. Had he led us into the land of Israel and not built a temple, Dayenu. Had he built the temple and not sent us prophets, Dayenu. 
Had he sent us prophets of truth and not made us a holy people, Dayenu. So we remember God's incredible goodness. That it would have been enough. You know, as I think about this section, I think about Jesus dying the way he did. You know, if Jesus had only died for our sin only, that would have been more than enough. And that we, you know, we don't deserve that. But Jesus went so far as to endure that cat of nine tails for our healing. He was willing to hang on that cross for six hours. People, none of us could imagine how hard that would have been. It had been hard for 15 minutes. He hung there for six hours to become a curse for us. And he did so much more than just pay for our sin. Okay, and we'll go through that in a moment. But now the maror, the, this is the horseradish time, guys. Okay. Bitter herbs. <laughs> this is remembering the bitterness of our past. All right. So here's what you need to do. And remember, I'm being nice. I could have brought a bunch of little horseradish roots and we could be wrapping it in lettuce right now, guys. Right? Some people do that. All right, what you need to do is put a little bit of horseradish, emphasize a little bit on your... Um, matzah here. Yeah, we need to make sure everybody's got matzah. Let's pass that around. Guys, you're going to want to at least have half a matzah for what's going on anyway. Here you go. No, 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 I'm not putting too much. I'm, it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> there you go. There you go. She's trying to cheat. She had, I didn't even see it, man. It was a speck. All right, so is everybody got, everybody got horseradish? Just put a little bit of horseradish on your matzah. Okay, just paint it on there. So while everybody's doing that, when I was a youth pastor, I probably shouldn't tell this on myself, but there was a gullible teenage girl, and she was always trying to do stuff to get attention anyway. And she was messing around, joking around and all that. And I was eating something at a Cajun restaurant, and there happened to be this big thing of horseradish, and she thought it was a dessert. So I didn't tell her any different, and she took a big old bite of it. I thought she was going to die, man. She, she lived. She survived. But um, yeah, she was the type always doing stuff for attention anyway. Or does everybody have their maror? Everybody ready? That's right. That's right. Someone said the amount of horseradish is proportional to your blessing, all right? So those that skimp out, some of you guys. (laughs) I believe in you guys. We We can do this. We can handle it. Baby Judah got a big portion. Are you ready? We bless you, Lord, and thank you for the bitter herbs. In Jesus' name. Y'all go ahead.
That's not bad at all, for some people anyway. Some people take it better than others. Listen, if any young people die, we'll pray for you. You'll be all right. We'll resurrect you, okay? All right. All right, guys, here's, here's what's next. We've got what's the correct, which is this is the eating the haroset. Now, my wife made these this haroset here, this um, these apples, cinnamon apples, and this is delicious, okay? So after the maror, we get to have the haroset. So here's what you want to do. Get, get enough to make like a little matzah sandwich, and we're going to put some of this on there. You want bigger? Okay. All right, guys, make a sandwich out of this. Now, listen, what this speaks of is the bricks and mortar that were in Egypt, okay? You're going to make a haroset sandwich. Hey, and you know what? You can put those that like horseradish. You can put, oh, listen, before you get all excited, just hear me out, okay? You can put a little bit of horseradish on it, and if you don't do very much at all, and it's actually really good. It's kind of the salty sweet. Okay, just trust me, it's good. And we're remembering the bricks of Egypt, but not only that, as I hold this up, how many of you guys remember that there were times in your past where Satan really did have some strongholds in your life? Amen. And Jesus came in and has set us free from those strongholds, okay? So that's what we're remembering right now as we make this haroset sandwich. So just put some of that together and try to eat that. Miss <laughs> Sandy, you did good on the apples. These are awesome. It's really good with the horseradish. This is good. Miss Sandy, you did wonderful on the haroset. Very good. Very good. You can if you want. All right, guys. We've got normally, normally in most Seder, they'll have a meal here. But since we're doing like an illustrated sermon, I don't want to do that because I'll lose everybody's attention. I'm not sure I'll ever get it back on track, okay? So this is the time where the afikoman is going to be found. So, in Jewish homes around the world, they're sending out the young people on this scavenger hunt of who can find the afikoman. And whoever finds it, brings it back, is rewarded. So, for the, 
For the sake of making this quick and easy, I specifically asked one individual to search and find the Afikomen. And he knows who he is. Go ahead, Fernando. Yeah, you know where it is. We're not we're not hiding it difficult because yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And so those that find the Afikomen receive a reward. All right. So we, we reward him. Yeah, that's 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 probably two Starbucks. You're good. Now, now, if you guys will hear, hear what I'm about to say, this is really neat. In a lot of Jewish homes, though, going back to Jesus' time, when the Afikomen was found and was brought to the Father, whoever found it knew, I'm going to be rewarded, you know. But the Father would tell him, you did good, but wait till Pentecost for the promise of the Father, and I'll give you a present then. Yeah. I know. That's really, that's really awesome. And so when, when the, Jesus, remember this represents his body that was broken and wrapped and buried and brought back. And the disciples found Jesus. They kind of found the offie coming, if you will. And Jesus told them, guys, go wait in Jerusalem until Pentecost, which is Shavuot, and you'll receive the promise of the Father. Okay. And so this is the time when we're going to have the third cup. This was the bread. The afikomen bread, okay, that Jesus would have taken. And he would have held this bread up and blessed it and broke it. And he would have passed it around. And then the third cup. So this is the point in the Seder meal where communion was instituted, okay? And so just as Jesus did 2,000 years ago, let's take the afikomen bread. He would have held it up and blessed it. Baruch atadonai lo heidi melakolam hamatzilechamina'aretz. Bless you, Lord of God, King of the Universe, um, who has given us the bread from the earth. And he would have broke it. I'm going to go ahead and give some here to you guys. Okay. And we're going to pass this around. So you guys break off a piece of this afikomen, and we're going to take Holy Communion together with the third cup. Just pass that around. Jesus blessed and broke it. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. So doesn't it make communion come alive? You know, I mean, it's just so amazing how communion has come to the body. And the fact that Jesus allowed us to be able to have Holy Communion year round. We don't have to just have a Passover meal once a year. But the Lord Jesus took out of, out of this communion and said, you can do this as often as you will. All right, the third cup is called the uh, Hageula. Okay, it's the third cup reclining to the left. And I already talked about the matzah being pierced and striped. You guys know Jesus. This was the night he was betrayed. He did this. So later on that evening into the early morning, Judas betrayed him. And he was hung on the cross at 9 in the morning on a Wednesday morning. And he hung there all the way till three in the afternoon, six hours. But I want to tell you real quick 
while that's going around, the seven places that Jesus shed his blood. The first place Jesus shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means wine press. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, we want the anointing of God, but the olive has to be crushed for the oil to come out. And so there, there's going to be like a wine press in our lives, okay? But here's Jesus in the garden, and where Adam and Eve were in a garden, and Adam and Eve basically said, God, not your will, my will be done, and they rebelled. Now Jesus is in a garden, and he's praying, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And he's sweating drops of blood. This is the first place blood was shed. And what Jesus was paying for here is that the power of rebellion against God to be broken. That by his grace, we have the ability in Christ to honestly say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. We're not going to be rebellious like Adam and Eve, okay? The second place Jesus shed his blood was on his face. If you remember... They would have been punching Jesus in the face. His nose would have been bleeding. Um, His mouth would have been bleeding where he'd been punched in the mouth. They ripped at his beard, so there would have been places that were bleeding. And his face, um, this is so powerful because when sin came into the world, there was this darkening of the countenance that came. But Jesus is paying that now people can look at us and they can see something in our countenance. They can see something in our eyes that when they see us, there is something different about a true Christian as a part to the countenance of the world, isn't there? The next place Jesus shed his blood was on his brow. If you remember, when Adam sinned, God said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat. And so there was a curse that came. But Jesus took um, those thorns. Remember, God said that the earth will produce thorns and thistles. But Jesus took those thorns and it was put on his brow and that that blood was shed at the brow and it broke that because up until that time it was by the sweat of the brow but now in Christ we can have supernatural provision. The power of poverty is broken so that you can come into a prosperity in Christ. Another thing is the back. Jesus' back was plowed open, the cat of nine tails, and we know by the plowing of his back that it paid for our healing. Okay? Jesus also was pierced in his hands so that we as his followers, Mark 16 says, we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. There is a power in our hands. Jesus took nails in his feet. And you remember that God told both Abraham and Joshua Where your soles of your feet go, where they tread, I will give you. There's an authority in our feet that where we go, God will give us victory. And then finally, Jesus was pierced in the side. And we know that it was out of Adam's side that a wife was given to him. And when Jesus hung on the cross and blood and water came out of his side, Jesus was paying for now him to have a bride. And so those are the seven places Jesus shed his blood. And so as we're about to take communion right now, we're going to take of this afikoman bread and we're going to take of this third cup, okay? And when you do this, I want you just to lean to the left somewhere. We're going to recline to the left and we're going to remember 
how Jesus has set us free, okay? We're free men and women in him. But listen, when you take this tonight, I want you to have faith with me here at Passover that there is going to be healing search through wherever you need it. Did everybody hear what I just said? I want you to believe with me. We, be- we believed in the first cup, sanctification. We believed deliverance. Now we're believing for healing. So we bless you, Lord, at this third cup. We've already blessed the afikomen, but the cup. We bless you, Lord, as we partake of this right now. We lean to the left. We recline, remembering that you've made us free. We're asking you, Lord, for a flow of healing and life to search through your people. Wherever we need healing, spirit, soul, or body, hearts or minds, relationships, whatever needs healing in our life, Lord, we believe it now. Let your healing flow in Jesus' name. Just worship the Lord as you partake of it. So we receive that healing now in Jesus' name. In every area, every person. All right. I believe with all my heart that this third cup is the not only the communion cup that we take year-round, but if you remember those that were here when I taught on the ancient Jewish weddings, you remember that whenever a woman was to be betrothed to a man, that there was a cup of wine that was poured and it was set on the table. And for her to agree to be um, his wife, she would drink of that cup. And I really believe that this is the betrothal cup. This is the cup that we're agreeing to to be Jesus' bride. Okay? And he's going to be our bridegroom. After she drank of that cup, she would put a veil on her face and she was communicating to everybody, I'm already spoken for, I'm taken, leave me alone. And that's what the Lord is saying for us today as we, as we take communion throughout the year. This is our betrothal cup. There's healing in this cup, I'm telling you. But this is our betrothal cup that we're His and we're set apart and we're veiled to the world and we belong to Him only, okay? And we're, we're, whenever that woman took that, He went out to prepare a place for them But she would wait in anticipation for his coming. So this third cup is the cup of us looking for our bridegroom to come. Okay? So that leads us to the fourth cup. I want you to know that at the Passover Seder, that Jesus did not drink the fourth cup. Now, he would have had Seder meals every year before that, so we don't have them in the scriptures, but they would have done this. But this year... Jesus did not drink this fourth cup, and he said, I'm not going to, after this, after the third, he said, I'm not going to drink this with you again until I drink it with you in the kingdom to come. And he finished that third cup, and they got up and they left, and they left the Seder meal unfinished. So this fourth cup is really powerful. It's the cup called the Hallel, which means praise. And this is the cup of consummation. This is the cup that when Jesus comes and catches away his bride like a thief in the night, 
We're going to be caught away to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the cup that Jesus is going to hold up and basically say this. When I was on the earth, I started this Passover Seder and I didn't finish it. But I'm going to finish it with all you here right now today. If you remember from the, the ancient Jewish weddings, as I, as I taught on this, that the husband and wife would stand under the chuppah and they'd get blessed and all that, but they would leave and they, and they had to wait before they celebrated until the husband and wife consummated their marriage. Because they did not believe in that culture that they were completely married until they consummated the marriage. And by, her, by virtue of her being a virgin, there was, there was a little bit of blood there involved and there was a blood covenant between that husband and wife and things were consummated. See, right now we're at the third cup. We're looking for his coming and we're saying, Lord, we're set apart unto you. But when we see him, everything's going to be consummated. It's going to be finished. We're going to be made like him. We're going to become one with him. It's going to be finished, okay? So the fourth cup as we partake of this, I want us to believe God for this coming year that should the Lord come before we have our next Passover meal that we will be ready to be at that marriage supper. See, there's a lot of people out there that are religious and they may go to church and they may call themselves Christians. But it doesn't mean that they're ready should the Lord come. Okay? When Jesus comes, he's coming for people, a bride that's made herself ready, that's washed, that's ready, that's holy. He's not coming for a stained, spotted bride, somebody that's living in sin and playing games. He's coming for one that's made herself ready, okay? And so as we take this, I believe God for a keeping and a sustaining grace that we will be ready should he come like a thief in the night over this next year. So we bless you, Lord, and we look for your coming. We want to be a bride that's ready. And Lord, I pray as we take this cup that there will be a keeping and sustaining grace come on your people for this next year. Lord, that we will have the grace to stay holy. People are not going to be backsliding, getting in sin, falling away from the faith, any of that. There's going to be a sustaining grace on your people, Lord. We want to be ready when you come like a thief in the night. We bless you, Lord. And the Lord would, would have held up that cup. Let's go ahead and believe God for His sustaining grace for the coming year. Alright. The last thing is the cup of Elijah. All right, so what we're going to do, I've asked Jerry. <clears throat> now, some of you guys know Eliyahu Hanavi. Be all right to sing this. Some of you guys may not know this song, but I'll kind of sing the quick version, all right? But those that know it, don't leave me hanging. You'll help me out. But here's what we're going to do. Jerry is going to go outside and take a minute, and he's going to look for the prophet Elijah. Okay, just walk around. If <laughs> If there's a homeless man walk by, don't don't tackle him and bring him in. Okay. But anyway, he's going to look. So while he's doing that, those that know Eliyahu Hanavi goes like this: Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishbi, 
Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hagiladi, Vimehrab Yamenu, Yavo Ilenu, Imashiach bin David, Imashiach bin David. And what the song means is Elijah the prophet coming to herald the coming of Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, son of David. When Jesus first came, he came as the suffering Savior, as the Lamb. Mashiach ben Joseph, okay, the suffering Savior. But when he comes again, he's coming as the triumphant king. He's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming as Mashiach ben David. He's coming as a warrior, okay? And so in the Bible, it's interesting because... um, what we have is John the Baptist came preceding Christ in the spirit of Elijah. But you read about in Malachi, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I will send the prophet Elijah. Because you have the great and the dreadful. The great is, would have been John the Baptist, his first coming. But the dreadful day, the day of the Lord, is going to be when Jesus comes that second time. Because woe to those that are enemies of God at that time. You hear what I'm saying? He's going to come as a conquering warrior. And before Jesus comes, we know he's going to catch away his bride as a thief in the night to the marriage supper. But there's going to be that seven-year tribulation time where the bride is at the marriage supper. These are the days of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be perilous times on the earth, okay? During those days, Elijah is going to come. So let me read it to you. It's in Revelation. Then there was given me, Revelation 11, then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple. Don't measure it. For it has been given to the nations that they tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Anyone who wants to harm them, fire will come out of their mouth and devour their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during those days of their prophesying. They have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, that's the false prophet, will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell upon the earth will rejoice and celebrate and send gifts to one another because the two prophets that tormented those that dwelt upon the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. They stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from, from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And then in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So this is Moses and Elijah. Okay, some people think Enoch and Elijah. I think it's Moses because of the plagues and all that. But Elijah will come. 
and he will herald the coming of the Messiah. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see Moses and Elijah standing there in sackcloth and they're prophesying to the world about Jesus being the Messiah and people that are trying to come against them, fire is coming out of their mouth. They're able to shut up the heavens. They're able to turn water to blood. I mean, it's going to be a fearful, holy thing, you know. So before Jesus comes, Elijah will come to help prepare the way. So the last thing is the prayer. Um, it's, it goes, La Shana, Haba Abe Rushalim, which is next year in Jerusalem. And so as we close this out, wouldn't it be something if between now and next Passover, Jesus comes? Wouldn't that be awesome? And so, Lord, as we close out this time, Lord, we look for your coming. And we say, like the book of Revelations, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord. Lord, we pray for your quick coming. But, Lord, we want to be found ready when you come. We want to be a people that are looking for your coming. And while, while we're waiting, we want to be busy about your business. We want to see people saved and, and your kingdom advance. We want to see the, the Spirit of God poured out on all flesh. But, Lord, we say, Come quickly. We look for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Now's the time for the, the meal. We can go ahead and shut down recordings. We're going to have a moment, guys. We're going to do soup and salad first. So whenever the soup and salad comes, then we'll, while, they're do, while we're eating that, there's going to be a heating up of like the brisket and all that, okay? So if we can have a few servants start helping us out, that'd be awesome. Yes.